Welcome to the Diabetech Podcast. I'm Justin, and on this podcast, I talk all things diabetes tech, news, management, and beyond. I talk to industry leaders and others with diabetes. The FDA just cleared a brand new insulin pump, the Eyelet from Beta Bionics. And get this, it doesn't require you to carb count. All you need to program is your weight. That's it. This tubed pump is designed to take a lot of the daily decisions out of your daily decisions. I sat down with CEO of Beta Bionics, Sean Saint, and we discussed how that works, the algorithm, customization, and all of your burning questions. That's right. I took your questions that you sent me on Instagram and I asked them and there was a ton to cover. I also got a hands-on first look of the Eyelet pump right after the interview and there is a video of that on YouTube, so make sure you check that out. New episodes of this podcast release every Monday on YouTube and on all podcast platforms, so make sure you follow. And I've also got helpful videos on social media and on YouTube. Links to those are in today's show notes. Keep in mind that anything you hear on this podcast or content on my social media and YouTube channel is not medical advice. Always consult with your physician before making changes to your healthcare. All right, let's get into the interview. Okay, before we start, Sean, what is your blood sugar? I'm 168. We knew this already. 168, actually. Crazy. It it was meant to be. This is going to be a good podcast. Uh, Sean, thank you so much for joining me. I'm very excited to talk to you. Thanks very much. Excited to be here. Before we get into the pump, I want to hear a little bit more about Beta Bionics because I had heard about it maybe a couple times just Briefly, I, I don't know much about it myself. Can you tell me a little bit about the history? Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to be the best person to describe this. It's certainly our founder, Ed Damiano. But fundamentally, uh, Ed, Ed's son, David, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when he was about 11 months old. And um, Ed's wife diagnosed him. She's a pediatrician, Toby. And and Ed um, is a biomedical engineer by training. And he realized that he had the skill sets to start to control this disease. And he started working on it. And I couldn't give you the exact year, but we're talking 2003-ish here. And that led to essentially an entire career in developing better automated insulin delivery systems. Um, So that's where it started. It started as bihormonal glucose control, I think, as you've you've heard. Um, And we're certainly going to finish there. Uh, But now we've got this intermediate stop at an insulin system. Um, and we'll chat more about that today, I'm sure. Why did you get involved with Beta Bionics? How, why is this important to you? Uh, oddly long story, you probably don't know that you just stepped in it. Um, I've been in, in the diabetes technology field for about 20 years. And oddly, when I joined it, I did not have type 1 diabetes myself. Um, I got into it because it was a job and, and, and I needed one. Um, it was certainly very interesting. But that was Dexcom in 2003. Stayed there for about five years. Um, did a few other things. Ended up at Tandem uh, for about five years. And it was while I was at Tandem I got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So I was the director of advanced technologies at an insulin pump company when I got diagnosed. Coincidentally, I end up at ADA just about a month later. And I hear Ed Damiano, again, our founder, uh, up on the podium talking about this amazing trial he had done. And I believe at the time it was like a laptop-based system. And there was two Omnipods. And he would have to bolus each one, the glucagon and the insulin, one by hand every five minutes. And they were showing great control with this. I thought, that's amazing. And I walked up to him, introduced myself, and said, how can I help? 
And that led to a pretty long-term collaboration between Ed, I, Tandem Diabetes Care, and um, yeah, so I've been involved in the product since all the way back in 2011. Um, we did split up a little bit um, as I left Tandem to go join Companion Medical, form Companion Medical. Um, but after the exit to Medtronic of Companion Medical, uh, we reconnected and I was able to, um, you know, the company was, was looking for somebody with my skill sets at the time and it just made sense. So for me, it was like lightning striking to be able to come back to a product I knew with a founder I knew with, um, you know, at the right time for commercialization or nearly so with a bunch of employees that I knew it was, it was perfect. I was going to get into the dual hormone pump later in the episode, but was the beta bionics pump initially set to be a dual hormone pump and now it's currently just going to be insulin first like kind of what is that plan yeah well i think the original idea and i again we'd have to ask ed for the exact right story um was certainly bihormonal but over the years many of the trials they've run always had the bihormonal version and an insulin version run in the same trial or in orthogonal trials what have you or adjacent trials i should have said um and we, so we always had both those. And obviously the bihormonal project is bigger. Um, insulin is, is a somewhat more straightforward, although still a huge project as evidenced by the number of years it took and the number of clinical trials it took to get here, which is significant. Um, but I think it's important to note that when we got the insulin product to the point it's at today, we said, well, this is fantastic. It's a meaningful step forward and we can't not release that. So it doesn't signal any lack of belief in our bar hormonal product. It just signals the fact that we think we have a real winner here in this project and we had to, to release it. Um, so that's what, what happened. I put out a, a question on social media asking for people's questions for you. So a lot of these are user questions uh, as well as my own. And I even talked to my diabetes educator who was like, who had a bunch of burning questions. So her, her questions are in here as well. But we got to start with this one. No carb counting. How, how did you achieve a pump that doesn't require carb counting? Well, obviously I'm not going to, you know, bring out the whiteboard and start talking about the details of the algorithm. Not that I could, but what I will say is that carb counting is notoriously hard, which means people are notoriously bad at it and that's not their fault. So if you look at a single meal, you know, whatever it is and ask 20 people how many carbs are in it, and there's been plenty of studies that show this, you're going to get a really big um, estimate there. So we sort of expanded on that, that concept and said, well, we can learn what your estimates look like, you know, and they're going to vary, right? That's why we have a closed loop insulin delivery system. So it can sort of fix the errors. We still, you know, with usual dinner for me, it's not saying that that's the exact same carbs it was yesterday. It's just saying yeah, about, and, you know, I want to be clear, it is true, there's no carb counting, but we do ask people to be carb aware. Um, as you've seen, we have the less usual and more, and um, it is incumbent upon the user to have, you know, a, a ballpark idea. See, that, that's a lot of carbs for me, but that, normal. Doesn't have to be the same as yesterday, it just has to be normal. And it was a huge question, you know, is that going to work? And we tested it in our formative trials, we tested it in our pivotal trials, and the answer is, yeah, it works really, really well. But I think the key to it is the adaptation of us learning what a usual meal is for you because a usual meal for me or you or somebody else is going to be completely different. So it's the adaptation that's truly the key. Yeah. And so how does that work exactly? Like just splitting, you know, 
th into three meals. I mean, I don't think I only eat three types of meals. I think sometimes I eat really fatty, large meals that are fast food, um, and then a super quick snack. Uh, yeah. and, and also I want to get into snacks, but how exactly are you kind of monitoring that usual, normal and more? Mm -hmm. How does that work exactly? So it's actually sort of a tough question. Um, with the answer being that it just does. Um, when you, you look at pizza and you say, okay, that's, that's a high fat thing and I am going to crush that pie. Okay, that's probably more, right? You, you look at, you know, I'm going to have a, a chicken Caesar salad tonight. Well, that, that's probably less. Um, and snack. You know, if it doesn't raise to the level of a meal that's less for you, it's, you know, you know in other words, if you're looking at saying, yeah, that, is it a snack or is it a small dinner, right? Well, if it's not quite a small dinner, it's a snack, then don't announce it. It's fine. Um, and again, that was central to the trial that we ran. Now, it's true. We, we discussed features like snack a lot, and we may very well add that to the product at some point. But the product that was tested didn't include that. And again, if it's, you know, the, the guidance would be if it doesn't raise to the level of a small, whatever the appropriate meal would be at that time, then just move on. Uh, the product is going to see your blood sugar. It's going to react to it automatically and, and fix things. You know, I think that's central to the concept of high fat as well. Um, that's the point. We're going to watch that meal and react to it. How would you log, let's say you have a considerable late night snack, you know, ice cream, 50 grams, what I would say, after your, your dinner, is that considered second dinner? Which pe many people have, you know, second lunch, second dinner, second breakfast. I definitely have second dinner. And uh, yeah, I think it absolutely could be second dinner. The way the system, I think that's the right way to think about it. And let me illustrate, I'm not a clinician, so perhaps I could be wrong, but I think the right way to think of that is exactly that. If you have a dinner, announce a dinner. If you have another dinner, announce that one too. Yep. Okay, great. So we can all start calling our desserts dinners officially. Absolutely. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Second now, dinner. Now, what if you forget to enter a meal or you wound up eating double or half of as much as you were expecting? Can you go back and retroactively change yeah. that those settings? You wouldn't want to. Um, if you forget to announce the meal, just leave it. The device is going to figure it out. Yes, you'll have some transient hyper, um, but it's going to bring you right back into range on its own. It's perfectly fine. Um, it's true that when you, you know, if you eat a little bit different amount than you, you expected, um, I really don't think that's any different from a traditional insulin pump. Meaning if I sit down with a, you know, a, a normal uh, pump and, and announce 50 grams of carbohydrates and then eat 20, I can't take that insulin back. Um, and that would be similar here. So it's a combination at that point of um, letting the device do what it does, which is ramp down your insulin later and potentially treating with, with some rapid acting carbs if you have to. One important tip here, uh, we haven't talked too much about the ease of use and we try very, very hard to improve the ease of use of these systems. But what we're not doing is we're not removing the requirement of being aware of your of your diabetes, being aware of your blood sugar, and treating those things. And frankly, even of high blood sugar, because there are things like infusion set failures and pump failures and and bad insulin that result in hyperglycemia. And you need to be aware of that and treat it um, as you would with any insulin pump. Can people just bolus like if they feel like they need a unit? Can the user do that? Nope. So oh. <laughs> no, and we think that's a good thing. So to be clear, we've, we, we talked, of course, about carb counting, uh, carb awareness, not carb counting. 
And that's true of really every number that one would enter into this product. We've removed the interactions around units. We've removed the interactions around correction factors, carb factors, basal rates, durations of insulin action, any of it that's not there. So not only do you not have to think about that, you couldn't if you wanted to. And I think that's central. You, you can't have a control system that truly makes all the decisions as the islet does and then make some of the decisions for it. Right? If you're seeing those settings in a system, it's indicative of the fact that it's not actually fully closed loop. It's asking you to make some decisions. This one doesn't do that. Um, so, you know, ultimately you learn that, uh, you know, it does a pretty reasonable job and let it. Weight is the only thing that you plug in. Yeah. Is there anything else that the pump needs besides weight? No. And, and I guess the carb counting that you, or rather the carb awareness, you know, small meal, normal yeah. meal, et cetera. The only two necessary interactions of the product beyond traditional care and feeding, right? Replacing the cartridge, et cetera, is starting up with your weight and announcing your meals when you remember. And if you don't, and certainly we, we have plenty of users in our clinical trial that didn't announce every meal, um, you know, you're going to be okay. Um, that's it. Now we do have the opportunity for, to change your target a little higher or a little lower. There aren't even numbers on that. There's a normal target, a little higher, a little lower. Um, but again, the idea of diabetes without numbers, right? Just keep things directional because really that's all we can do. Um, you know, anyway. And for those who are listening, are you able to tell us the, the three different ranges, what the actual number is? I don't even know. Okay. <laughs> I think, well, I, I, think, I, think so. I heard it <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> well, um, it's... It's probably out there somewhere. Uh, I frankly don't know exactly. What I can say, and this is important, is in our clinical trial, we didn't tell people what to use. We didn't tell everybody to use the lowest setting. No, we said use whatever you want. Use the product as you will. And that's the result we got. Um, so that's, I think, a, a, a pretty important point. Is the time and range post-meal comparable to other closed-loop systems? How does it compare? Yeah. So I don't have off the top of my head time in range post meal specifically. That's a bit of a specific metric and um, I have no idea. But what I can say is that uh, I know, you know, one of the fundamental questions you, you've got to be dying to ask is what are the outcomes compared to other pumps? And it's important to say, we don't know. Um, and that sounds ridiculous. But the simple fact is that every trial that's been run on these systems has been very, very different. And I'm happy to talk a little bit about trial designs. Um, but you know, each, each, um, trial obviously has a goal associated with it. And it's pretty clear that there have been other trials that were, that the goal was to achieve the maximum time and range out of that study population. Fine. Um, you know, if you want to, you know, to generate a great number for your marketing literature, that's a great number to go shoot for. But that was not a, the goal of our trial at all. The goal of our trial was to find as accurately as we could the performance of our device and an accurate cross-section of people with diabetes in this country. You know, 80% of people with type 1 aren't meeting ADA goal today, 80%. Roughly the same was true of our trial. Um, we didn't nail this exactly, but, you know, roughly a third of our trial was MDI, roughly a third was SAP or sensor augmented pump, and roughly a third, in fact, was other hybrid closed-loop systems. Um, we, we didn't exclude people for having recent hypos. We didn't, we were, we were much better at um, achieving a, a good cross-section of economic background, educational background, you know, race, racial background, all those things um, in our trials. So it was, 
we believe a very good statement about how the thing's actually going to perform in the real world. And frankly, you know, we think time and range improvement is a great metric because it really speaks to not how good you can do and more accurately, how good this one person can do, but how much better most people do when they use the product, which I think makes a lot of sense. And our time and range, our time range improvement metrics were really very, very good. Yeah, so I, uh, many of my listeners know, I am a DIY looper. I use a non-FDA cleared system. And what I love most about it is the fact that I can program the glycemic index of foods, whether that's yeah. orange juice, which will hit my blood sugar in 30 minutes, or pizza, which is probably gonna take up to five hours to get into my bloodstream. I'm or able like to that. tell, or yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm able to tell the algorithm that that's coming and it can kind of take that into account and treat my blood sugar really well. How does the the eyelet pump know that you're eating high fat foods and how does it adjust your your uh, treatment, your insulin treatment? So I think there's two important concepts there. The first is to be 100% honest, it doesn't. It reacts to what it sees in your blood sugar and gives you the appropriate insulin at that time. And it does it without needing correction boluses or dual wave boluses or anything else. And I think the other part of that is it does it without needing to know what the glycemic index of your food was. So just by you telling me what you told me, you've already sort of labeled yourself as a very type A, type one aggressive, you know, control guy. And that's great, right? I love that. Um, you know, it really mimics myself as well. Um, you're willing to put in the effort to get that great result. And I endorse that. Um, but I think the islet is uh, for a little bit of a different direction. It's for people who don't really want to have to determine, okay, this is a high glycemic index meal or a low glycemic index meal and, and go interact with their device in order to tell it that, you know what, it's got me. And um, it's just a very different thought process. And again, getting back to the trial, I think the beauty of it was that we took people more like that and got them essentially to ADA targets, you know, roughly seven uh, A1C with again, very little interaction. Um, I think it's true, and I want to be honest about this, if if you're the kind of person who's willing to just bust their butt and interact with that device 30 to 60 times a day, you know, and use a control to range system, which allows you to drive to the bottom of that range, you can probably go get an A1C of six or whatever it is on other products, and that's great. Um, the Islet being a control to target system, right, and without all of these necessary interactions is going to drive you right to where the ADA says you should be. And um, I think that's uh, it's really the goal of the product and, and very different than what we've had access to in the past. But that doesn't necessarily make it right for somebody who wants to adjust their glycemic index of their food. Well, you know, I do have to say what you're saying about the islet pump sounds extremely appealing to many people who don't want to be always on top of their numbers and their ranges. And something I'm def definitely doing is using my pump or rather my system probably more than people because I am very type A and I do want to have a lot of control. But yeah, it does it does take me out of my daily life sometimes. Not not too bad, but I definitely am playing with it. It's kind of like a video game, but you know, it's your health. Um but so it's you know, it's not a video game for a lot of people. It's it's a hassle for a lot of people. So the idea of using a system like this does sound appealing and it is what it sounds like. It's closer to that bionic pancreas that we're all hoping for one day is that it does it for you. And then it's as close to what an, a person without diabetes is experiencing. So that, that sounds great to me. 
Well, just a, a quick statement on that, I guess. You know, one thing he said is, you know, in terms of staying on top of your numbers, I just want, you know, that one, gosh, I mean, we got to recommend that people do a good job of staying on top of where they are at all times, you know, be aware of it because it is, it can be a very dangerous disease. So, um, you know, at least from that perspective, I, I think you still need to do that. Um, but the other thing, you said something funny, you called it a video game. And I don't know, 100 years ago, in the early days of Dexcom, I don't recall who said this, but it was described, you know, somebody said, you know, just keep it between the lines, right? And somebody said, yeah, it's like the world's slowest game of Pong, which I thought was hilarious. I have to remember Pong, right? The old thing with the ball that bounced off the thing. And uh, yeah, like a little video game. It, you know, it actually reminds me of Floppy Bird, which is this game where you have to keep this bird flying, but you can't go too high or too low. <laughs> Uh, that's yeah, funny. Yeah, I don't know that one, but uh, happy to look it up. Yeah. Uh, so, what about <laughs> when it comes to activity? I know a lot of my followers are very apprehensive when it comes to working out. A lot of people go low. What systems exist on the pump to aid people with activity? So interestingly, when you when you so a couple. First is that of course there is the higher target setting, uh, and the second is like any pump disconnection. Um, there aren't really good algorithms out there for, or at least FDA cleared ones that I know of, specifically around um, exercise. There's higher targets, and that's fine, but it's very hard to say, okay, I'm intending to be at 70% of my target heart rate, and therefore my insulin requirements are going to drop by 40%. We don't know these things, and they're different for everybody. You know, and depending on aerobic or anaerobic exercise, etc., your blood sugar can go up and down, etc. And... Um, so you, you sort of need to figure out exactly what type of exercise you're doing for you. And then the options are simply take it off, um, which can be done. Um, it's all you really need. You know, something you said actually kind of stuck out to me is heart rate. Do you mm -hmm. think we'll ever have an insulin pump that also connects to your Fitbit, your Apple Watch, and reads your heart rate? You're going 140, mm -hmm. and it kind of understands, you know, your, ac your active level. Yeah, Could we connect it? heart rate to an insulin pumps? Sure, why know, not? Data? Um, and I think that there are groups doing some great work in exercise around the country. Uh, and then also central to even some of the formative trials that we've done. You know, we've, we've had people on exercise bikes and everything else. Um, but like anything else, a lot of that, those kinds of innovations tend to come first from academia where they do, you know, some um, some trials associated with they figure okay generally a publisher paper says this is what happens when you exercise and then it takes a company to come along and say oh I can actually build that system based on that you know into whatever to actually make that easier um, but we I don't think at least that I've seen we really have the background data yet uh, that would be ready to build into a product and then do a clinical trial on and have real expectations of success right because as much as um, you know, clinical trials are expensive and we're not generally in positions to do a, whatever it is, a hundred patient year clinical trial to see if it works. You know, we want to have pretty good confidence that it works by the time we get to that stage. They're very, very expensive and yeah, they take a long time to run. Uh, but yeah, that's so, coming. I definitely think it's coming. Yeah, that would be awesome. So for, for the activity, how would a patient bolus pre-exercise? Would that change? No. Um, they wouldn't, again, they, I mean, it's, I get a lot of questions that always come back to, okay, how do you do this? And the answer is always going to be the same, which is you don't, um, you know, again, the controls on the pump are weight, of course, um, which becomes irrelevant relatively quickly as it learns you, that's a starting point, um, target, uh, meaning relative, the meal announcement, 
and disconnection. And that's it. Um, you know, if you can't find what you're trying to do in that, we believe you probably don't need it generally. Now, again, I want to be clear. I am not trying to say that for your aggressive type A, type 1, highly um, educated is not the word, in tune with diabetes user, that you might not you know, utilize a, a different tool somewhere. But I think the point is, in order to have those things available, then you need to have all of it available and then you can't be fully closed loop and it fundamentally changes what we're trying to do, which is why we see the eyelet as a new and a different technology. And I never want to get into the trap of arguing whether or not we're you know, better than one of our competitors or worse than one of our competitors. We're very different than our competitors. We're for a different person with different goals. Now, we think that person is much more um, sort of broadly applicable. We think there's more of them, but it is a very different system than, um, than some of the other ones offered today. And, and you know, we want to focus on that. I, I don't want to fall into that trap of, you know, we're not competing for their target user. That would be the wrong thing for us and them. So is there a run-in period for this pump? I know the Omnipod 5 takes about two weeks to get to know the user. Is there a certain time frame for this one? Yeah, so um, there is because fundamentally to everything that we're doing is learning. We're learning, you know, <laughs> while we don't use the concepts exactly, we're in effect learning your carb factor, your correction factor, your required basal rates. We're learning all that stuff. And takes, I don't, I'm not going to quote this exactly, but it takes just a couple of days to really get a pretty good idea of how do you control you generally. The meal announcement feature takes a little longer just because of how few meals we announce. Um, you know, I can't know everything about you all based on one dinner announcement or what have you, right? Um, so that takes a little bit longer, but, um, but the, the basal rate controller and everything, there's three controllers that are operating the device, basal rate, corrections, and then uh, the meal controller. And the first two really adapt very, very quickly. And we saw that in the trial where the average glucose came just right in and then stayed there the whole time. And how does the algorithm work, or rather, how does insulin treatment adjustments work? With the Omnipod 5, that's through boluses. The Tandem, it's a basal bolus combination. Same with the loop system I'm on. It's auto bolus and basal. How about Eyelet? So I, I, we'll probably get tired of my answer to these things. We've done away with the concept. So you don't have to think of it in terms of that, right? We're giving you the right amount of insulin at the right time. Well, is that a bolus? Is it a micro bolus? Is it a correction bolus? Is it a higher basal rate? Is it a basal rate adaptation? It's insulin you're getting. That's all you care about. Did you get the right amount of insulin? That's what the eyelet gives you. Um, we've complicated insulin delivery by segmenting out the way we deliver it and how it's, and what's it for, and which, what, well, you see 80% of that was basal and 20% of it was a micro, but that's, that's not, those aren't interesting concepts. We gave you the right amount of insulin. Wow. <laughs> We're wow, as close to the right <laughs> amount of insulin as we can get at any time, so. Um, and, and you see that, changing the, the kind of the paradigm of the discussion you have to have around your technology, right? Of just, I don't know, wear this thing, you know, and watch your blood sugar rather than like, okay, let's talk about how we're going to handle high fat meals or how we're going to handle it. No, just wear the darn thing. And you're going to do, you know what? Pretty well. You're going to, on average, get to about ADA goal 7.0. What else you want? So... So this pump is currently set to be for those with type 1 diabetes. Yeah. Would you, are you planning or would you create another algorithm for those with other types of diabetes? Yes. Um, I will say that we, we have tested it in, in other quote types. I mean, certainly type two being an example. Um, 
we have active studies going on in uh, CFRD, cystic fibrosis related diabetes, um, even CHI, congenital hyperinsulinemia. Um, well, there's another trial going on with that. Um, and then in other areas as well, like primary care, for example, uh, all those things are happening. And um, I think, so yes is the short answer, but I would also illustrate that our trial had type one in it. And so to get a clearance on other types, you would have to do that trial. It may be, I don't know this, it may be that the product as it sits is perfectly fine. We just need to do the trials. My point is rather than develop a new algorithm, we just do a new trial. And I've had a lot of users reach out saying, you know, they're on steroids, so their their hormones are different, people who are pregnant. These are all people who have type 1 diabetes, but they have different circumstances. Or, or even there are people who have type 1 who are insulin resistant. Is this pump ready for those people, or are they going to have to wait until future trials? Yeah. Well, you know, we haven't, I would say, specifically tested it in, in those areas, so we're not indicated for it. We're not indicated against it. Um, but what I would say, and this is an opinion, and again, I'm not a clinician, um, is that the device does adapt quite quickly. So if your insulin needs change, we're going to respond to that reasonably quickly um, and, and learn the new you, right? And that's one of the important bits here is that it, it's not that the device, when we start it based on your weight, that it goes from, you know, sort of the out of the box setting to learning you and then become static. It continues to learn you and the new you. So, you know, we're approved six and up, ages six and up. We all know that, you know, younger children can be very insulin sensitive. And then you get into adolescence, you get insulin resistant. And you come out of that and you get more insulin sensitive again. And the product will adapt right across that, no problem. Um, and it'll, it'll certainly adapt to things like um, um, steroids and what have you as well. Um, now, it won't be immediately, right? You're going to see some transient changes. But as you would with any technology, unless you can take the settings from where they are exactly to where they need to be, which of course is completely impossible. I'm so used to meeting with an endo or a diabetes educator and being like, you know, here are my charts. What are we changing? So <laughs> what is that dynamic going to be like with people and their educators and endocrinologists when they're like, you know, these are the levels I'm having. The pump is just learning based off of my patterns. Is there a way to adjust? Like, no, there's, so not only do they not have to go and review those sweat settings, they can't. We do of course provide a report to help you understand how you are doing on the product, but there is nothing to adjust. And we, we think that's really important. I wanna be very clear for, especially the healthcare providers out there, you know, we do not see this as taking your job in any way. What we see is providing automation to do something that you had to do, but probably weren't loving. And we hope that we're giving you back the ability to have a more rich conversation with, with the individual, you know, around other issues that are, that are you know, uh, important with diabetes, whether it be cholesterol or foot disease or diet, you know, whatever those things are. Let's finally give you the time to talk about those things that you haven't had because you've been having your head, you know, in the pump trying to figure out the perfect carb factor, which is, you know, and I'm quite certain a lot of these doctors are very, very good at it, um, but as can automation be. Um, so yeah, we hope we're, we're going to make that conversation quite a bit more rich and, and, and ultimately helpful, um, for you. When it comes to the weight, which is programmed, how often can someone adjust that? Can they change that whenever they want? Can, um, you know, our recommendation is that you not change the weight unless you, your body weight changes by more than about 15%. I believe that's the recommendation. 
Um, but the, the real reality is, you know, again, it's learned you. That was a starting point. Um, you can feel free to change it, but it's just going to learn you again. Uh, so, yeah. Not I'm going to have to get a beta bionics scale for my bathroom that way. I can just <laughs> do it all automatically. <laughs> the worst thing in the world is if you started hawking your, you know, the, you know, staring at your weight every day and adjusting it. You know, it, there's, there'd be no point in that. Um, that's the whole point of the adaptation. Um, weight is a starting point. It is for the physicians as well. You know, it's funny. People think that there's some um, um, magic bullet of you. You walk into an endocrinologist's office and like, okay, your, your carb factor is going to be eight. It's all done on weight, right? They don't know anything fundamentally else about you. They know what you weigh. Um, and that's that's where it comes from. They, may, they know your age, you know, but that's basically where it comes from. And uh, we do the same. Um, the Let difference being, of course, then every three months or so, you're adapting those features or every five minutes, which is what happens within the eyelid. Okay, let's let's get into the technology of the device. Let's start with infusion sets. Other tubed pumps have multiple options for infusion sets. What is the infusion set like for this one? Yep. So we have multiple options as well. And, you know, we work with the same infusion set manufacturers as everybody in effect. So we have uh, 90 degree soft cannulas. We have 90 degree steel sets. I believe the, excuse me, the contact detach and the inset are options. It's very similar to what, what other companies offer. Uh, and we will continue to, to try and provide a better and additional sets as we move forward. But yeah, pretty soon. How long, how long does the, each site last? I think, I think the, the Teflons are labeled for three days and the steels maybe for two, if I'm not mistaken, but, um, it's they're you know, they're not beta bionics design sets. So they're, you know, very similar to what everybody else has, has got in that regard. And are you looking into, so Medtronic's new 780G, it lasts for seven days. Currently yeah. no other pump does last that long. Are you looking into extending that? Absolutely. And yeah, that's a great set that they work with. Absolutely. Great. So that as well. right now the Eyelet is approved to work with the Dexcom G6 for the closed loop. Yes. Do you have plans to work with the G7 and or the Libre 2 and 3, which were also just FDA cleared for closed loop? Mm -hmm. uh, and if so, do you have some sort of timeline for those? Yeah, uh, definitely hoping to. Um, definitely plans. You know, our belief structure is that we, we believe in choice. We believe that we should work with, you know, everybody who will work with us. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll continue to work towards that. I can't share any specific plans right now or timelines. But, um, you know, we'll work as hard as we possibly can to make those things true. Yeah. So literally after this interview, two, in two hours, someone's coming over to my place to show me the pump. I'm like so excited. I'm actually going to put up a video on YouTube. So I'm very excited to play around with it. Can you tell me a little bit about what I can expect from like a user experience, user interface yeah. side of how what it will look like? Well, I think a couple things will strike you. Um, the first is that the we'll start kind of structurally um, the the cartridge filling process the cartridge is a sort of a traditional glass vial uh, and it's and it's actually small it's about 150 units um, which is great for most people for three days but the reason we made that design decision is because it's so darn easy you know you just you snap the thing well you drop it in the pump and put the thing in and you do a quarter turn you know and prime it uh, it's just a much easier experience to load the, the pump uh, you know, than, uh, than some other options. Um, so we like that quite a bit. Uh, the other thing that will strike you is the, the black and white screen. 
that's always on, right? And the, the interesting bit there is, you know, we're not watching YouTube videos on our pump, right? We wanted something that was very sunlight readable. You could see all the time that was low power that you could glance at. You didn't have to turn on and look at, you could just look at. So again, you're not needing all of those, those beautiful color interactions. And remember, the eyelet's designed to keep you out of it rather than in it, if you will. Um, so it was a different design decision to, again, make it easier to be able to just glance at it, see your blood sugar, move on, um, without having to turn it on. But that's because it's a very low power screen. The other thing you might notice is that there are no holes in the device. There's, you know, the button is a capacitive touch button. There's no physical button there at all. You just lay your finger on it and it'll feel it. Um, there's no plug. It's a, a, a capacitive uh, or a inductive charger, excuse me, like Qi charger, for example, like that, we provide one. And um, yeah, it makes it very durable, very, um, very uh, tolerant of, you know, water and dust and all those other things, because there's not a single hole through the device. Yeah, so you answered like all of my questions. So no um, for those of you who are listening, a Qi charger is your typical inductive charger for most electronics out there. It's spelled QI, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, so for this- said, Like a Qi charger, you know, technically okay. you know, we, we provide a charger. Um, it is similar technology. Um, it will function on one, but we don't endorse that. You know, I mean, we're obviously under certain situations to, you know, that's why we're gonna give you a charger. But okay, technically, but it'll function. Technically, the okay, the iPhone charger yeah. I have by my bed could theoretically work, possibly. Yeah. Great, good to know. Work possibly, that's on you. Please use our charger. Great. And regarding the water resistance, how does that work? Do you want people wearing this near or in the pool or in showers? To be perfectly honest with you, I can't remember the exact IP rating, which is the waterproofness and dustproofness rating of the device. And um, like anything else, I mean, you shouldn't be swimming with an insulin pump. I mean, it's an expensive, you know, product. Um, but yeah, it's it's absolutely. I'm, I'm going to use the phrase waterproof. Um, you're not giving the exact numbers here, um, and that was the point of not having any holes through it, etc. You know, this thing's not going to have a problem. You know, in the rain, it's not going to have a problem. You know, if you drop it in the in the tub or something, you know, it's not. That's fine. Yeah, and one of the photos that Beta Bionics released, it showed an iPhone app. Can you tell me a little bit about that iPhone app? And is there an Android app? And will there be a tag along smartwatch feature? Yeah. So we are at the beginnings of our, our app product roadmap, right? Obviously, we focused on, on the pump itself. But there's a couple of important features about the app. First is availability. Yes, iOS. Yes, Android. Um, it is a, a, you know, a medical system, um, in this case, it's called an MDDS. So we test it quite vigorously and we can't test every single, you know, one of the million handsets out there. So you'll see some warnings if it's an untested one, but <clears throat> you know, you, it can be used, iPhone and Android. And um, the intention of that system is, is a couple fold. One is to be able to provide the reporting for the healthcare provider and for yourself. So you can see exactly, you know, the report that you're used to reviewing. Less of a point in it, but we do expect that healthcare providers still want that. They want to know you're doing well. They want to know what's been happening. And of course, we'll provide that. So that facilitates that. Um, it does it wirelessly. So there is no, you know, 
plug the pump in again no plug on it right you don't have to go plug it in and you know download the special app to your computer and download and then email the data to your doctor or you know they they don't have the big the big medusa thing of cables at the office it just it goes through your phone and works um, the other direction is wireless update um, when we do have uh, firmware updates to the pump when we have new features whatever it is we can wirelessly update that right from your phone it's a much easier experience um, again, no plugging it in or anything else. Just you know, set it next to the phone and let it do its thing. Um, and uh, so those are the two reasons for the app today. I'll just guess that you're probably going to ask me about things like remote bolusing or you know any number of other features. Um, not yet, but clearly we understand that those are desires of, of people. Um, actually, I, I don't know why I just said remote bolus because certainly that will never be a feature on the app. But remote meal announcement may. Uh, and we'll, you know, we'll work toward that, uh, but that's not a, not a today thing. Great. I love that. So now let's talk about rollout. This comes from my diabetes educator, Mary Rose. This is for you. Hi, Mary. Tell, tell me about the plans for rollout. When we, when will we see reps on the floor and how are you going to handle training for educators, endocrinologists, and patients? Well, now I thought you said somebody was coming to your house in two hours. <laughs> I get door-to-door -door service. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think that's uh, pretty indicative here. We're, um, you know, when we put out a press release when we got cleared, we said we announced, you know, FDA clearance and launch the island. So uh, the reps are out there now. Um, what I would say is we had, I think, 16 clinical sites in our, um, our clinical trial. And there's a lot of pent-up demand there. There's a lot of knowledge about what the product is. And we're certainly focusing a bit on them because we are limited. We have eight reps today. We'll be growing, uh, but we want to support those people that already know the islet right out of the gate, um, rather than going trying to convince new people who've never heard of it that they should be using it. Let's, so let's start with the people who know it first. Um, but yeah, you know, you can put in an order for the islet today. Wow, this is obviously a very new type of device for people, especially people who have been using other systems for so long with the manual carb counting, yeah. will people have the ability to trial this and see if they like this new system, say for a couple months, get it to learn them and see how they how they feel about it? Yeah, uh, great question. I mean, obviously we understand that that's a, a, real, um, a real desire of people. I can't quote the exact um, plan that we have right now, but yes, in effect, there will be some sort of a thing there. Um, you know, but that's a, a tough part with pumps, right? That, you know, you are making a bit of a commitment for four years, um, at least at the moment, um, which we certainly understand. We understand the challenges that come with that. We'll do everything we can to help mitigate it. Great. And when it comes to availability location-wise, what's the plan? Is it U.S. only right now, other countries coming? Yeah, right now, U.S. only. We're, we're only cleared here, but goes without saying that we'll, you know, be focusing quite a bit on, on expanding, for example, CE Mark, et cetera, and bringing this around the world. Um, we are a small company. Um, we've got our hands completely full in the US alone right now, uh, but we'll we'll do everything we can to, to bring it out quickly internationally as well. Are you already seeking approval within those agencies outside the US? Not officially, no. Um, we were sort of all encompassed in getting our 510K cleared, um, which was, uh, you know, quite a robust 510K given the size of our clinical trial and the uniqueness of that trial of the product. Um, but so no, we haven't been able to start on that yet, but we'll, we'll do that soon. All right, let's talk the future of Beta Bionics, the eyelet pump. 
to my understanding, this pump is pre-built to work as a bihormonal device in the future. Is that correct? No, sorta. Um, so <laughs> we, you were not wrong, and I saw the pictures that you shared in your last thing, and those were right at one point. Um, the original idea was that you could, we would sell the insulin system and then upgrade you to a bihormonal system, you know, sort of immediately after. Um, and I think the reality of the situation dawned on us that the, the bihormonal system is not going to be two months after. It's not going to be four months after. And when we really looked at it, we said, well, wait a minute, now we've got this hole in the vice that you know is a, a water feature we've got an extra motor in there an extra gear train and there's just all this cost associated with this it really isn't necessary so our intention is to start shipping pumps that can be upgraded to bihormonal prior to the release of bihormonal hopefully um, such that we're sort of ready when that comes out but if you were to have a pump today when bihormonal comes out, and I'm not going to share a timeline, but it's you know it's not going to be today, um, we would end up shipping you a new pump at that time anyway, just because the other one's getting a little long in the tooth. Um, so there's no real reason for it. Um, but yes, the product is fundamentally designed to have those both in there. We have the bihormonal hardware. We don't need to redesign anything. We don't need, um, you know, yeah, so th that all exists. But we did make the decision to cap that, that other side of it. And... Um, utilize that space for other things. Okay, so now what is the status of the bihormonal pump? Is it in, it, does the FDA have it or are you still like trialing? No, uh, we've still happen? got it. Um, the, the device itself physically is, is there and works. We have, I'm gonna say versions of the software. We're of course always you know, tweaking it to some extent, but, um, but I think the most important bit is that we've done I don't remember the number because it's like more than 20 clinical trials over the last 14 or 15 years studying that bihormonal product. And, you know, we, we really, you know, it's, it's such a unique product. That's the kind of effort that you need to get it right. Um, but we've published on the results of those, you know, a bunch of times. It looks great. Uh, so the, the real uh, work that still needs to be done is to get it into a pivotal clinical trial. So we need to figure out what that clinical trial looks like run it and then submit to the agency it is going to be a longer trial um, there's there's no question about that and the specific reason is that um, you know we've never we've never pumped chronic glucagon before right so we need to start looking at that from actually from a drug perspective as well as the product itself we know the product works or over a two-week period we've done that before um, we need to make sure and i think it's going to be fine that the the drug itself works for you know an extended period of time as well so it'll be a big trial yeah, and, and if that does come out, when, or rather, how do you think that this could change people's lives? Well, I hope it's profound, and, and certainly for myself as well. Um, gosh, I was just talking the other day about, you know, this concept of lows, and, you know, lows are no big deal when you're sitting on the couch and you're watching television, you pop a glucotab and move on, um, and they're somewhat more dramatic when you're, um, you know, pushing a shopping cart through Safeway or Vons or whatever your local supermarket is and your two kids are running around screaming and grabbing things off the shelf and you're getting tunnel vision and not really sure what to do and you left your glucotabs in the car and you're starting to flip out a little bit. Um, and then all the way up to, in fact, driving and being maybe hypoglycemia unaware and having that, um, you know, that happen to you. So we hope that by 
I can never say eliminate. We hope by massively reducing those sorts of experiences, that fear of living with type 1 diabetes, and unfortunately there is some, for some people, right? Some people more affected by it than others, you know, is largely mitigated. Um, in addition to the fact that you just, it's one more thing you don't have to do, right? I would not say that you shouldn't monitor your blood sugar, even by hormonal, but you really shouldn't very frequently have to be um, treating, you know, with, with glucose in any way, because we got that for you. Um, so yeah, the, the results I think are really quite profound. I don't remember the studies, right? They did something that said like a person with type one makes like 160 or 200 decisions a day that people without type one don't. Hopefully with the Islet product, we just removed, I don't know, 50, 75, 100 of them, I'm not sure. Um, hopefully with that product, we remove another 50. Um, and, and the more we can get to this disease looking a little bit like not having it, I think is just, is huge. And we know that diabetes burnout's a huge thing. I, I know I've suffered from it. And, um, you know, that, I think that's the real goal is to, to just make the disease easier to live with on a daily basis. Yeah. And does, does glucagon in a pump allow for the algorithm to be more aggressive with insulin <laughs> yeah, and lower all those ranges? It absolutely does. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't, again, want to quote exactly the, the data that we've produced in the past, but it is published and everybody can go look it up. Um, the bihormonal data that we've published has a lower mean glucose than our insulin, or sometimes called insulin-only data, uh, which is a little bit more higher mean glucose for exactly that reason. We can drive just a little bit lower safely because we've got the brakes on the other side. You got it. Okay, I wanted to end this interview with a question uh, and kind of just get your take on it. So I, as I said earlier in this interview, uh, I am a looper. I use the DIY system. I kind of just want to hear what your thoughts are on this community that came together uh, for the last, like, since, like, for years. They've come together. They've worked together to help those with diabetes. What do you think of this community? And do you have us beat? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> a couple of questions there. We, let's start with what do you think of this community? <laughs> all right, let's start with that. So first of all, I'm part of this community. So let me say that I've built open APS. I've built DIY loop, uh, obviously worn these things. Um, I think that it's one of the more impressive sort of crowdsource is not the right term, but sort of crowdsourced products. Um, that, I, that I've ever seen. Um, and because the, the amount of work that goes into one of these things is, is truly shocking, both from the person who builds it, although getting less so, um, but more importantly, the people who've contributed to it. Um, so it's, it's quite amazing from that regard. I think that the, the systems that exist are really quite amazing. You mentioned DIY loop, which is a, you know, sort of a very aggressive type A type one system, which is just super cool. Um, it's got all the knobs and buttons in there. Um, and the fact that that works as well as it does is actually kind of a little bit shocking. Um, so, you know, all the, all the respect in the world, um, to those people, but the reality is that it, it can't be broad, right? We, we know the rules around that. Um, you know, you, you can't just build a solution and give it away. Um, the FDA doesn't, doesn't go in for that and as well. They shouldn't, um, so do, do we have you beat or do we have them beat? Um, I certainly wouldn't call it that, but what I would say is, because again, you know, DIY Loop is an example, and there are plenty of other examples, is a very particular product, and it's good at doing what it does. Um, but what I think is unique about the Islet is that Ed had the prescience 20 years ago to go down a road that really nobody else was walking. And 
the, the, the one thing I can say for sure about all the people who, well, you know, the engineers who build the system is they're in fact engineers. And the hardest thing in the world is to say, well, this is what I want, but maybe I'll build it for somebody who's not like me. And they're all engineers. And, and look, I'm a mechanical engineer. I say that with all the love in the world, guilty. Um, but I think what Ed was able to do is to see a world where there was a product that didn't, that wasn't built for your engineer, that wasn't built for somebody who wanted to be the knob turner. So it's not that maybe they couldn't have gotten there, but for whatever reason, nobody really did. And I think that makes Beta Bionics and the Islet product unique. Um, and I hope, and I think that it will prove to be highly applicable for the largest swath of people who are willing to wear these technologies. Um, because they, most of them don't look like you, you know, meaning, you know, highly aggressive type A, type one, you know, willing to turn all those knobs. Um, so I don't know about beat, but I do think that we went in a different direction. And I ultimately think that different direction is going to be extraordinarily impactful to the population health. And again, I'll just, maybe I'll just close by saying that, you know, it's true. If, if, if you want to get, if you want to drive down into the five A1Cs or some people even have non-diabetic A1Cs, you know, less than 5.6, that's fantastic. There are tools to help you do that. It's probably not the islet. But if you're part of like the lion's share of people who are like, eh, I just want to think about my diabetes less and get a pretty good result. Well, bam, you know, then, then we think we have a, a new option for you that, that's really worth trying. That's fantastic. I'm very eager to check this out myself in just a couple hours. Sean, thank you so much for coming on the show. I would love to have you on again in the future, maybe for sure. that dual hormone pump when there's more info on that. Thanks so much, Justin. Really had a great time. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Be sure to check out my hands-on video with the Eyelet Pump over on YouTube and follow this show for more coverage. New episodes release every Monday wherever you listen and new videos drop daily on social media and every Friday on YouTube. Links to those are in today's show notes. Until next time, I'm Justin and I'll take you later.